Hey, there you are. Welcome back to another episode of Old Head. I am Steven, and before I get into anything else, in case any of you are wondering, yes, the Metallica show was fucking great, highly entertaining, they played some cool stuff, the new song sounded good live, some of the Black Album era stuff's getting a little bit crispy, but I understand that people want to hear that shit, but overall, I had a blast, as expected. Also, you may notice that my voice sounds a little bit raspy, and that's because my allergies are kicking my ass, but I'm not letting that stop me from bringing you all the rock and roll goodness. So let's do this. I had to get to it sooner or later, so I thought, why not do it for the first podcast of my 41st year of life? Oh, wait, no, I guess it would be my 42nd year of life. Either way, I'm going to kick this one off by talking about one of the most important shows that ever existed in my life. Yes, I am referring to the MTV show Headbangers Ball. Now, for those of you who may be a bit younger, you may not really know the impact that MTV had in the 80s. It was not only a channel that at that point played music videos pretty much all day long, but it was also a channel that you would watch as much as possible, especially if you were a kid like me that was just really into music. But the music that I kind of wanted to hear, which ended up being the hard rock music, wasn't played that much during the day. You could probably see a Van Halen video or maybe a Def Leppard video or something like that. But if you wanted to get turned on to newer music like that, you weren't really going to get it during the day on MTV. You would get it, on Headbangers Ball. Now, I didn't really start watching Headbangers Ball until around 1990, but let's go back to the beginning. Headbangers Ball was previously known as Heavy Metal Mania, and it was hosted by Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. And in 1987, the show switched over to being called Headbangers Ball, and at that point, it was mostly hosted by bands and random MTV folks who really didn't seem too into it, but whatever. The hosts of the very first episode of Headbangers Ball were none other than Lemmy and Phil from Motorhead. And originally, on Headbangers Ball, you would see the usual suspects, i.e. Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Rat, Poison, but you would also see bands like Overkill, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, Anthrax, the heavier shit. So really, the best thing about Headbangers Ball was the fact that it was exposing hard rock fans to metal bands. And another great thing about it, and this was pretty much throughout the life of the show, is that there was no division. So there wasn't a point where somebody would say, oh, that was a Poison video, but now we're going to play this completely different thing, so all you hair metal fans leave the room. It was all presented as one big celebration of heavy rock and roll music. And I can't stress how important that was. In hindsight, people like to draw lines to divide when it comes to rock and roll and heavy metal. I'm not one of those people. I like to draw lines to connect. And still today, I think it's great to watch one of those old episodes and see a Megadeth video, followed by a Great White video, followed by an ACDC video. 
because it's all fucking great music. Great White, a little less great. But you know what I'm saying here. The heavy metal dickholes were not allowed to ruin this show. And I love that. And not just because I got to see all these bands that I liked who probably normally wouldn't play shows together, but also I would see other bands. Without Headbangers Ball, I may not have heard these great fringe bands like King's X or Voivod. Yeah, they were played on Headbangers Ball. Along with the likes of DRI, Nuclear Assault, King Diamond, Coroner, Creator, Agnostic Front. These were all just thrown into the mix, and I love every minute of it. Now, over the last few years, I've been very well reacquainted with Headbangers Ball because I ended up finding someone through the internet that had a stockpile of episodes, and this lovely person ended up selling me a whole shitload of them. And so I've been rediscovering this show from 1987 all the way through 1995. And for someone like me that is so fueled by nostalgia, it has been an amazing ride going back and reliving all of these feelings that I had at that time. Now, as I mentioned before, I didn't really start watching until around 1990, but I did catch some glimpses here and there, and the one thing that I remembered was it was hosted by this poofy-haired, blonde, faux-rocker kind of looking guy named Adam Curry. And he hosted the show from sometime in 1988 until the beginning of 1990. And he gets a lot of unnecessary flack simply because he looked more like Bon Jovi than he did like James Hetfield. And looking back on it now, the guy did a hell of a job. And really, who else at MTV could have taken over at this point? They didn't have anybody that could have added any credibility to the show. But they found him. But before we get there, I think it's important to also get back into the variety of music that Headbangers Ball actually exposed people to. It's easy to let your brain get all fogged up by these half-baked articles and shit that have come out over the past like 25 to 30 years. Articles that like to say cliche shit like grunge killed off hair metal. If you ever read anything like that, take it from me. It's an immediate sign that that person does not know what they're writing about and should probably go write about their favorite restaurant or some shit. Let's take it back to 1989. In 1989, quote-unquote hair metal was the most popular it was ever going to be. It was massive, and because of its success and the success of Headbangers Ball, other types of metal were also experiencing a lot of success. It was the salad days, as they like to say. But guess what? Guess what was also being played on Headbangers Ball in 1989? Jane's Addiction... Faith No More, and a little band called Soundgarden started getting played. They weren't being played on the alternative show. They were being played on the heavy metal show. And it was all well accepted. So much so that by 1990, Headbangers Ball had a really healthy mix of glam metal, thrash metal, 
alternative rock slash metal, and they were still playing your classic metal bands. And that's around the time that a 12-year-old boy named Steven really started paying attention. And part of the appeal was the fact that it was now being hosted by somebody that seemed like a legitimate rocker, and that was Ricky Rackman. Not only did he seem to know what he was talking about, but it also seemed like he was friends with a lot of these guys. Turns out he was. He has a very interesting story about where he was and what brought him to hosting Headbangers Ball. In fact, he now has his own podcast. It's called Ricky Rackman's Cat House Hollywood Podcast. And you should go check it out after you've finished listening to this episode. Not that he needs my help to promote, but there you go. Free plug. So where were we? Ah, 1990. So yeah, along with all of these great bands that you started to see on Headbangers Ball, you also started to see bands like Sepultura, Prong, Pantera, Heavier Shit, and I welcomed it with open arms. And going back to my earlier argument about quote-unquote grunge killing off hair metal, in 1990, for the most part, most of those bands were already shedding their hair band style. And that wasn't because of grunge. That was because of the success of bands like Guns N' Roses and Skid Row, you know, your leather and denim bands. But of course, your ignorant wannabe music know-it-alls will happily gloss over the fact that hair metal was already struggling with itself a year before most people ever even heard of Nirvana. But guess what? Your old pal Steven, he does his research before he runs his mouth off about shit. Most of the time. So let's move on in to 1991. Oh, what an interesting year that was. And that was the year that I started religiously watching Headbangers Ball. And yes, that was the year that Nirvana released the album Nevermind, but the whole grunge thing didn't actually kick into high gear until 1992. No, the big album in 1991 was not brought to you by a grunge band. No, 1991 was the year of the Black Album. Yes, the Metallica album that everyone says is the beginning of the end came out that year, and it was fucking massive. And in my opinion, it is the album that really started to scare the glam metal guys into leaving their hairspray at home. And that's because the album was super popular, but at the same time, I don't care what you fucking say, that album is heavy as fuck. Sure, maybe it's not fast and it's not super technical, but put that fucking album right up next to any of the hollow-sounding, overproduced, bullshit metal crap that comes out today, and guess which one's going to really rattle your windows when you're playing it in your car? That's right. It ain't Avenged Sevenfold. It ain't even Slipknot. And I'm sure the guys in Slipknot and Avenged Sevenfold would agree. The Black Album is one heavy-ass memorable song after another, and it was a huge deal when it came out. Totally changed my life for sure. And now, almost 30 years later, it seems so weird that that album came out the same year as Nevermind. 
which also had a huge impact on me in a different way. And on top of those two massive, memorable albums, you also had a double album from Guns N' Roses called Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Now, tell me that 1991 wasn't the fucking coolest year for rock and metal. It fucking was. And if you were watching Headbangers Ball like I was, you could see it in the show, that there was a lot of excitement, but not only that, there was an undeniable celebration of all things heavy. In fact, you also started to see little special sections of the show where they would set aside time to play some of the heavier bands or some of the weirder bands. One of those sections was called the Triple Thrash Threat, and you know I was into that. And also there was another section called the Frantic Fringe where they would play some of those bands that were maybe a little bit harder to categorize. But overall, the message that I got from Headbangers Ball was like, hey, you like loud and heavy rock and roll? All are welcome here. And I think that's a really big reason why I was so open to any of the new bands that were coming out. And in 1992, things shifted a little bit, and we started to see a lot more from bands like Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam. But at the same time, don't forget, we also continued to see Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, Aerosmith, Queensryche, Anthrax, Testament. And guess what? They started throwing in videos by Death, Napalm Death, Megadeth, all the deaths. The death was fully represented on Headbangers Ball. And by this point, I was always counting down the days and hours until I could watch Headbangers Ball. And sure, I got a little bit tired of seeing some of the 80s Kiss videos, and I don't really need to see You Shook Me All Night Long for the thousandth time. But for the most part, I was really into what they were playing, or at least entertained. And in 1992, it's still important to point out that we were still getting new music from bands like Warrant and Skid Row and Slaughter and Def Leppard. And guess what? A lot of it was still popular. Take note of that, Wikipedia rock journalists. But anyway, still guiding us through all of this was Mr. Ricky Rackman, who never seemed full of shit. He always seemed like he was a fan of some of the bands, you could even tell when he didn't really like shit, and I thought that was pretty cool. Even if he did end up cutting his hair like a fucking poser. I'm just kidding. Let's jump right into 1993. What was happening in 1993? Two words. Death metal. By this point, I had become a little more adventurous, and I wasn't just getting my new music from Headbangers Ball. I was reading metal magazines and what have you, but more often than not, what I was doing was looking at the photographs of the bands inside of the albums I bought and looking at their t-shirts and going, well, I like this band. If they like that band enough to wear their t-shirt, goddammit, I'm going to go find their album. And little by little, the music that I was into got heavier and heavier. And guess what? Headbangers Ball also started to include some of those bands. You started to see videos from Morbid Angel, from Carcass, from Entombed. And for a little bit, they had a cool little section at the end of the show called Enter the Pit. And that's where they played all the heaviest shit. 
And yes, the rest of the show was still filled with music videos by all of the usual suspects, and then some. And this continued through 1994. Now, in 1994, I started to get a little bit into the punk rock scene, and guess what? The Headbangers Ball was still there for me. A little bit. They had Rancid and Bad Religion and bands like that on there, but at this point, a lot of those bands were being lumped in with your alternative rock bands, and at that point, all of those bands were already being played all day long on MTV anyway. And so, the fact that a lot of this music that was previously only shown late nights was now a part of a regular rotation was most certainly a huge part of what went down in 1995. So let me walk you through it. I was still pretty religiously watching Headbangers Ball every Saturday night. This one particular Saturday night, I sit down, ready to watch my favorite fucking show in the world, and all of a sudden, a new show called Super Rock comes on. And I'm like, this must be some kind of mistake. Maybe it'll switch over to Headbangers Ball after they realize the huge fuck-up that's happened here. But there I sat, watching an entire episode of this show, Super Rock, that didn't play any metal at all. Not that I remember, anyway. In fact, for the most part, they were just playing videos that were already played during the rest of the day. And I remember thinking... What's the fucking point of this? And the next weekend, still no Headbangers Ball. In fact, that was the end. There was no explanation. There was no last show. And this was before the internet, so I couldn't go and Google, hey, what happened to Headbangers Ball? We were just left high and dry. And when I say we, apparently that wasn't a large amount of wheeze because according to MTV, I was in the minority and there was not enough of a demand to continue a show like Headbangers Ball. And at that point, MTV was already having a lot of success with its reality TV shows, way more success than they were having with playing music videos. So who the fuck am I to tell them they made the wrong move? They're still here aren't they? So anyway, that was a bummer. But you know what? The way that heavy rock and roll was shifting into this kind of soundtrack for the aggressive popular jock in high school, I don't really think I would have continued to watch anyway. And this was even proven to me when they tried to bring the show back in the 2000s. And it just wasn't the same. And I think that was equal parts where the music had gone and the fact that they probably couldn't find another Ricky Rackman. And so that brings us to present day. When you have a 40-year-old man, 41 now, who still finds such enjoyment in watching old episodes of this show that kind of shaped him in to this 
music fanatic that you're listening to right now. And as I've mentioned before on a few other podcasts, I am pretty sure that because of the way that music is viewed and consumed today, this type of show really couldn't ever exist again. Maybe it could, but I'm not holding my breath. But I will continue to watch all of my old episodes anytime I get the chance. And honestly, I think you should too. Do a little Google or YouTube search for Headbangers Ball Clips. And if you don't really quite understand what I've been talking about here, hopefully you can see why a show like that was so important and hopefully why it's important to, especially these days, keep an open mind when it comes to music that is all from the same place. It's all from a loud and heavy and aggressive place that I think exists inside everyone. But only the most badass of us really love to tap into it. So remember that next time you want to go talk shit about Nickelback. Because as the late great Tom Petty once sang, anything that's rock and roll is fine. And I couldn't agree more. So, thanks for celebrating with me today, folks. Make sure you go to oldheadpodcast.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram and go listen to my music. Just wander around that page and go and check shit out. And while you're on any of those pages, please make sure that you're rating and liking and subscribing and commenting and doing all of those things because it really helps out and I truly appreciate it. But most of all, I appreciate that you all are even listening. So thank you, and I hope you all have an amazing day, night, weekend, whenever this is you're listening to it, and I will see you all next time. Bye.